As always, we want to thank our sponsor, the Norden Group of Salt Lake City. Why do portfolios of large institutions, endowments, and pensions look so different than the portfolios of high net worth individuals and families? The philosophy at the Norden Group is that you should invest your portfolio like an institution. This approach leads to complete transparency. Some key questions to ask yourself. What do I really own? How much am I paying in fees? What costs am I paying that are not disclosed? Would I be better off in a low-cost index fund? At the Norden Group, we conduct what is called a portfolio audit, which can help reveal these and other important details. Call us to set up your appointment. Investment advisor services offered through Townsquare Capital LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. SEC registration does not constitute an endorsement of the firm by the commission, nor does it indicate that the advisor has attained a particular level of skill or ability. Townsquare is not affiliated with any other named entity. Well, thank you again to the Norden Group. Um, I know we've we've said it a whole bunch of times, but as the season's really starting to uh, wind up here, uh, we really appreciate the work everybody's been doing. It's been a rough, long winter, but you know we've had coaches doing clinics, getting people outside on on path rides and stuff, coming down to races. So thank you to uh, thank you to everybody who's tried to make the most of what feels like the eternal winter, huh? Yeah, it's gonna warm up and melt soon, but like the snowfall today was like almost equal to the biggest storm we had last year it seems like yeah. so rough stuff um right out of the gates this is dan and i's second time recording this um i being an idiot uh changed a setting to try and improve our sound quality and accidentally basically turned dan's mic off so um we've already run through this once before or at least the first yeah 20 minutes so. the, the first bit of this um you know we we've we already did the quiz um so we're gonna have to and i did really well dan depending on who you ask got two two and a half out of three questions right i'm gonna go over those questions because they're news items um but um because of my mistake we're gonna lose out a little bit on the on the format today but we do have a lot to talk about um we're going to be running over um the uh, the really great clinic that we had with uh, dr ross earlier in the week I'm going to do a quick little tech bit on sunglasses. We've had some questions about that. And then uh, Dan's going to talk a little bit about race nutrition, gut health. Um, not, not so much gut health, just just gut distress during, gut dis- during race, racing. Race-related yeah. gut distress. Really good, really good, fun stuff we'll be talking about here today. So um, kind of chop it into three parts instead of doing one big one. Um, we do have a couple of news things to run over though. And first off is we had the iCup yesterday out in Santa Clara, which was awesome. Like I've, I've, I don't know if I've ever had so much fun at an iCup. That was great. No, we had a fantastic group out there. Like Maybird was really well represented. Um, had a lot of awesome podiums, a lot of kids riding really, really well. We had, I mean, it was a, it's a super tough course, super technical. There's just absolutely no rest or recovery on barrel roll. It's just so... Bro, on the whole thing, there they, is, there's literally no recovery on that course. Yeah, it's just <clears throat> brutal, brutal. But, you know, and we, we had some some riders that had a tough day, but were able to push through and finish, and I, I think that's super cool. So just so, I mean, we were just so classy, uh, just... I was just really proud of our riders really well represented with coaches and, and riders out there racing. I just, I was out racing. I'm like, man, most of the jerseys I'm passing are Mayberry jerseys that kind of seen for parts of the race. You know, we had tons of, tons of the girls came down too, and we have to shout out Helena Archibald and, uh, and India just 
crushed their group one and yeah, two man top steps on varsity podiums which is kind of the funny thing is they were just like it was just no big deal for them they were oh, just yeah. super they're just, classy bike racers yeah, yeah those guys we also should shout out and I have to be careful shouting this out jamerson kent also finished the race without a brake lever and i don't know that we should condone that but it was definitely impressive you know i've never seen that before but i would that course on that course if i if i broke if you broke a brake lever you're like oh my day's over there's no way i'm going to keep going and and i should make clear that's probably the right thing to do but i i can't not shout out jamerson for that that's kind of legendary yeah but we had lots of kids on podiums lots of lots of really really just awesome riding and and fun times just hanging out with each other out there so and then the the, the best part of all is that like there was actually sunshine out there it know? was a beautiful it was cold yeah. in the morning it was really it was cold, cold and wet yeah but by the time we were racing you know for that second it felt wave, pretty good it was perfect oh it was perfect you know yeah. felt kind of humid for st george though a little bit and had some rain earlier in the week but yeah really good stuff um and then this weekend this coming weekend will be the uh the usac race in temecula Got a good crew headed out for that, right? Yeah, I, I'm. I'm guessing we'll probably have about 20 people out there racing, and uh, it's just so much fun. We're gonna gonna watch them race, go out to the ocean, hang out there. It's it's a super fun trip, and I'm super excited to. Weather's looking okay, so yeah. Oh man, that'll that'll be a good time. Um, uh, any any other uh, team news? You know, um, so we had last week we did something super fun, which. Uh, I've yes. never done before. And yes. I'm realizing, I'm really, man, I have been missing out and I think I've been doing Zwift wrong. Yes. So like how I use Zwift is I pretty much only do like kind of pre-programmed zone two. Erg mode. Erg mode workouts that are You're just, not even shifting. It's just changing uh, it for you. Yeah. I'm kind of watching Netflix and, and YouTube while I do it. And, you know, not a lot of fun, but it gets the work done. Right. You know, and I'm. I'm fine with that. Do what you got to do. But, but yeah. So, so Scott miles did a, like a scheduled, like a, a, a group ride with his, his group. And I actually opened it up to the entire Maybird group. And we had, we only had like 10 or 12 riders join in, but it is so much fun. I was and, shocked by how much fun I had. And so I didn't know that when you do these type of group rides, um, all the other riders out there, become invisible you pretty much just have the whole course to your group right and um and so it really kind of felt like a normal group ride in that way and then we learned that you can like use your you know you have your zwift companion app and you can use that to talk to each other while you're riding within zwift right within zwift yeah you don't even have to like pick up your phone you can just see this person says this or whatever and like it's it's super it's kind of it's really engaging you kind of just feel like you're riding with this group of buddies and talking to them it felt so real and then um you know and we had you know we did like a couple laps on this really beautiful course through scotland and and scott's like okay on this last lap the course is yours just go for it and it just turned into this like bike race like a little, it was like a little like a little road race almost it was so much fun and it, it's, yeah. I ended up like that ride I ended up putting in like a nice race effort you know yeah. and, which wasn't great race prep for Saturday but it was it was just so much fun well it's cool because Zwift really does a pretty good job of simulating real world conditions it takes drafting and aerodynamics and weight into account you know, so like you climb faster if you're producing more watts per kilo. You know, if you're drafting behind two or three guys, you don't have to put in as much work to keep up the same speed, right? And it was interesting, and I got I got Brady's permission to share this. 
um, Brady, Brady Preston was was one of the coaches who participated. And at one point, uh, pretty early on in that first lap, when we were kind of chilling, he uh, had to answer a phone call and had to stop for like 20 or 30 seconds. And, um, you know, it, it kind of turned into like a two and a two, two and a half minute gap that he had to like the front 10 or so people. And it was fascinating because we were we were going that hard. It was like two watts per kilo, maybe, you know, mostly flat, kind of rolly. And you'd look down and Brady's power would be, you could see like B Preston, 230 back, 4.5 watts per kilo, five watts per kilo, just pumping crazy watts and just barely making a dent, right? And I was like, that's this is cool because this is how road racing works. You know, it's like it's a it's a really safe way to kind of understand the road side of the sport a little more, you know. See, I figured with Brady because people were saying, should we wait for Brady? I'm like, no. I think Brady stopped on purpose because we were too slow. <laughs> and he, he wanted a challenge. He wanted a challenge. To, so that's kind of what I figured. Oh, yeah, man. And it was interesting because I was talking to him. He was like, it was crazy because you were working that hard, barely making a dent. And he's like, you know, he kind of extrapolated it would take another 15 or 20 minutes to catch the group. And he's like, and then when I did, I would have been gassed. I'm like, that's how a road race works, you know. Can I just can I ask you a question about Brady? Yes. Do you think he looks like Hugh Jackman? A little bit. Don't you think he looks like a little bit? Yeah, he does. He looks like Hugh Jackman, which right. isn't a bad thing. I mean, no, I mean, if you're gonna look like, I mean, a few figure people like looked at us like, like maybe if Will Ferrell and Jonah Hill had a baby, like <laughs> they're less flattering comparisons. I never like thought about that before. That's, isn't that cool? He's like the Wolverine is on like neighbor. the Wolverine of cycling. We gotta make like a T-shirt or something. I know that's awesome. But yeah, it was it was crazy to watch that. I'm like, this guy's pumping He's like the greatest showman. Oh, uh, there you go. Right? No, yeah, yeah. The, Hugh Jackman, known for his role in the greatest showman. That's his <laughs> most significant piece of work. No, it was, it was crazy to watch him pumping that kind of power. Yeah, he's, and he's, just be like, wow, he's the, an amazing yeah. The group effect in cycling is crazy, though. Like none of us are even really working, and we're you know. Yeah. So yeah, I'd like to you know if there's a rainy day or a bad day, I'd like to do plan more. Look for an these. invite. Yeah. Look, I think we'll, we should we'll, do one for Joe's birthday because we usually go on a ride on his birthday, and, and this year that might be our best option. Huh? Yeah. So may, yeah, look for that. We yeah. might do that. That that'll maybe happen in the future. Um, like I said, my earlier mistake resulted in us losing the quiz with Dan. Um, I'm going to run over the, the the quiz questions. We're we're racing. Yeah, just related. buzz through the news super quick. really fast. Big show today. So Tour of Flanders coming next Sunday. We've had the two kind of warm up races for that E3 and Ghent Vevelgem this week. Um, uh, it's looking like it'll be a three up battle with uh, Vanderpool, Pogacar, and Van Art. I'm thinking Van Art's looking like the favorite, but kind of hard to say. I'd love to see Pogacar win it. I think that'd be really cool. But Cape Epic wrapped up. Um, Blevins and uh, Matt Beer took the overall win, which is... And can I just throw in that I got that particular quiz question right? Dan so. did the, Dan did get the Cape Epic question yeah. right, but it was a guess. You guessed. You didn't know. You're like, I don't know, Blevins. Like, um, which I guess I can't take the credit away from you, but I, I want to make you feel less good about it. Right is right. Right is right. Um, Cape Epic wrapped up. I think uh, Keegan and Lachlan were top 10, which is super impressive. Um, you well, said last time they got eighth. I think it was eighth-ish. Okay. I should know. I, I wasn't able to follow Cape Epic as close as I wanted to this year. Um, uh, yeah, so keep an eye out. We did have a little, um, if you like watching the pro road racing, and I hope some of you do because it is fun, um, most of it so far has been available on GCN+. Plus. Uh, unfortunately, as near as I can tell, the Tour of Flanders and um, uh, Paris-Roubaix, and pushing out even further, the Giro, are all still on Flow Sports. They still have the rights to that, so you'll have to pay for a Flow Sports subscription, which sucks because it's expensive, and I think I like GCN more. But keep an eye out. Watch Flanders if you can next weekend. It's one of the biggest weekends in cycling. Um, 
Uh, so looking forward to that. But uh, we are going to be talking, like I said, I think it ran over already. We're going to talk a little bit about the clinic we had with Dr. Ross, uh, go over sunglasses. Let's actually talk about sunglasses first. Should we talk about sunglasses first? And then I'll talk about Dr. Ross, just kind of review my notes from that. And that'll kind of actually lead into, lead into your race. Because the two nicely. things are actually very, very closely tied together. Right, right. So, but can I introduce your sunglass? Please do. So when Joe says that, like a lot of people have asked this question by a lot of people, he means me. I've had people ask me. You've this. had other I people. I have actually too. had people ask me this because I really wanted Joe to to actually do like a research deep dive into sunglasses because, like, um, you know, when I'm riding with a group in like when I'm riding with like a high school team, you usually ride in the evening or yeah. something, and you're like you're heading west on 24 seven and the sun is just right in your eyes and I cannot see a thing. And I've almost found that if I take my sunglasses off, I can see better than with my sunglasses on. And so I actually, I, I'm, I'm like one time even like splurged and went out and bought like photochromatic, like the, um, the Oakley flight jackets or whatever, like spent a, a stupid amount of money good old good old chunk of change thinking it would be life-changing and not not so sure that you were a little underwhelmed a little underwhelmed okay um and so i was just kind of like aside from like style obviously you spend more money you get like a cooler trendier set that of the pros are wearing and it's like you know people always like look at the eyes to remember the face you look at sunglasses you you're like people the main the main part of your look is your sunglasses i would argue yeah you know, so yeah, yeah, it's important to look good. And if you look good, you feel fast and you go yeah. faster. And, that, and that's valid. And, and it so, makes Mabrid look better. And, so, <laughs> And I'm sure that like, I'm sure that like, if you get actual Oakleys and you crash in them, they're not going to fall apart and break in your eye. Right. Like if we're, you get we're them gonna on go, we're gonna go over all AliExpress, this. I've heard that before. Oh yeah. I want to know like, are more expensive, can more expensive sunglasses help you see better right. in different lights? So there you so, go. That's just kind of setting. Well, there you go. So with that in mind, it was really interesting reading about this. Um, to start with, like normal sunglasses that you wear in your car or something have, have one purpose, and that is to keep the sun out of your eyes, to protect your eyes. And it's interesting because I, I was reading an article about, um, you know, like like I have always believed in spending a lot of money on cycling sunglasses, but I've never owned a pair of like casual sunglasses or sunglasses to keep in my car that I spent more than about $25 on. See, I go through about a, a set of pugs every two weeks because I like... right. And then I find like five pairs of pugs in my car when I clean it. And, right, yeah. exactly. And, and I kind of do that too. But it was interesting because even at that level, there is a, an argument for, for spending a little more money. And, and I was reading an article by an optometrist who said, you know, the thing that people forget is a lot of cheap low-end sunglasses. So if you're thinking like, I don't want to spend Oakley money, I don't want to buy, you know, $150, $200 sunglasses, I'll just go on Amazon and buy the cheapest pair or I'll buy the fake Oakley's on Alnali Express. He said, most of those are a piece of, of clear plastic that has been slightly tinted. And he said, they're actually worse than wearing no sunglasses because it makes it feel like the sun's not hurting your eyes as much. But what it's doing is it's tricking your eye. It's allowing your eye to dilate because it thinks there's darker conditions, but it's not actually being protected from UV rays. Oh, interesting. So, so it's making it's, it darker, but it's not necessarily filtering out the actual UV rays. Your eyes hurt in the sun for a reason. It's because the UV rays from the sun are, are damaging to your eyes. You don't want to expose your eyes to... You've had this before. You've had oh, a yeah. burned cornea from like a field trip you took with Jay. And I forgot sunglasses. There was a lot school. of snow and it like my eyes like didn't produce 
tears for a while. Like they yeah. were super dry for eye injuries are years. very serious. It was it was really bad. Yeah, and so he said, you know, you don't want to do that. You like if you're out working a construction job or if you're out in the snow all day, don't wear crappy glasses because it's going to dilate your eyes. Your eyes are going to the, your pupils are going to open up more because they it, it think it feels like it's darker, right? But those UV rays that you can't see that aren't in the visible light spectrum are going to get more readily into your eyes. So out of the gates, there's that. We spend, That's interesting. So like when I buy my pugs at Maverick, it does say like 100% UV protection. Yes. So that's something to look for. So that's the first basic. Anything you're wearing, I think, should have UV protection. We spend a lot of time outside. You don't want to be damaging your eyes, right? Now, for what it's worth, that is not regulated. So you can, in the United States, you cannot say something is a chicken tender when it's actually a chicken finger. You can say 100% UV protection. There's nothing... I mean, you could maybe get sued for it for making a misleading statement, but like there's no, the government doesn't regulate that. So and people on AliExpress can probably say whatever they want. Exactly. So that's going to be a, a theme through here. Um, my, and I'll just kind of spoil the end, like buy sunglasses from real sunglass companies is, is it the minimum takeaway for this. That's, you know, like, uh, and we're going to go into other reasons to not buy counterfeit Oakley's on AliExpress or on eBay, but that's number one, you know, you need something that actually protects you from the sun. So cycling sunglasses really have like three main purposes. And the first is to protect your eyes from the sun, but then it's also to protect your eyes from the wind and from debris. Um, from the wind is, is, is less a safety thing and more like a comfort thing. You know, have you ever like, you know, had your glasses off and then descended a hill at 20, 30 miles an hour and your eyes get all yeah, watery. Get dry and stuff. It's uncomfortable and it's maybe a safety thing. You're obviously not seeing as well. And then also where we're any kind of cycling, but mountain biking in particular you know, that little rock that kicks up out of nowhere out of your, off your buddy's tire who's in front of you. And if that goes into your eye, that's bad. Yeah. And I've run past bushes and stuff that have hit my glasses right, and probably right. would have gone into my eye if I did, wasn't wearing glasses. I will say like, like I don't wear my glasses all the time when I'm riding. If we're climbing Armstrong and it's shady, I might take them off and stick them into my home if it's going to be sweaty or something like that. But like you should be wearing eye protection for the most part when you mountain bike. Um, you'll occasionally catch me descending without glasses for one reason or another, but as a general rule, you know, protect can your I, eyes. I, can I say something about yes. sun? Like I see a lot of kids riding with just like normal sunglasses that are like have the thick frames around yep. them. And I can, what, how, how, like, how would you describe those kind of sunglasses? I like don't know. they used to be called wayfarers or something I don't like know. that. And one thing about those is like when you're in a riding position, like that frame on top, <laughs> like blocks half the trail. Yes. You know, and you're, and so whenever I see kids riding in just normal, sunglasses with like the thick black frames around them they might they might look stylish if you're like walking through the mall or something i don't right, know right i don't know why you'd wear, People sunglasses, don't wear sunglasses in the mall, mall. that's true. a strip mall okay if you're walking through the strip mall <laughs> yeah um it but is yeah those yeah. are those are terrible for would not recommend they're not yeah. doing much to help you and even it's interesting you mentioned that because i read the like pock makes cycling sunglasses that look like that but even theirs are designed to sit up higher on your face so that when you're in the riding position you have a full yeah it doesn't view. like have this line going through the trail no i will say if you are afraid of looking like you're too into cycling and you want to be cool and stuff do it other ways wear real sunglasses is is it you know it's it's a good idea the other thing and, and I, I was actually looking back do you remember what my first cycling sunglasses were if you find yeah we had safety glasses that you would go into work and you would like go into the bin of safety glasses in in the wood shop you're working in and that's what we would wear on the mountain bike. No, they were, t yeah, we had tinted safety, tinted glasses. safety glasses, basically for like working on a job site, right. Mm -hmm. That were essentially disposable. You probably shouldn't have been taken one a day, but the idea wasn't that you'd take them and then use them for the next five years. You know, they were essentially disposable safety goggles that we were wearing. And it's interesting. Cause I remember those, like 
they covered my eye. They were probably safe. They did probably protect me from debris. I could see. I had I had a good field of view. Um, but those suckers would be scratched after about a day. <laughs> you know, if you put those in your bag, not in a, you know, like just put through them in your team bag or whatever, like you couldn't see out of those by like week two. Um, lens durability is tricky because there's no way to measure it. Um, any high-ish end pair of glasses will be more resistant to scratching. Um, you can absolutely buy... You, there, there are probably safe 25, 30, there's like Gooders, that brand that'll sell you a pair of, like I have a pair that are like my $25 keeping the car sunglasses. Like those will probably be safe um, and won't shatter dangerously when you crash or whatever. But like, you're going to have to buy like a pair every two months, you know, because they'll get so scratched so fast, you won't be able to see out of them. So that's another thing to consider. Another argument for spending a little more on glasses. Um, and again, there's no way to measure that. So it's kind of hard. To, and I tried to quantify like lens durability between Oakley versus Smith versus Pac versus Tafosi, whoever. Not good numbers on that. Um, I can tell you that like uh, I've had my most recent glasses were Pac. The lenses after th about three years are still not significantly scratched. And I abuse those things. Like I just throw them in my bag. I was going to say, I've had Oakley's though that I didn't take care of and they, I couldn't see through them at all. Right. You really, I think you really have to take care of them. Yeah. On the flip side, I've also had Oakley's that I didn't take care of and I feel like they didn't scratch that much. There's no, the short answer is like lens durability is an important factor, but I wasn't able to find like useful, you know, this brand is more scratch resistant than this sure. brand. Anyway, but in That's, general, the more you spend, the more scratch resistant they should be. Right. And, and I do want to just take a moment to address the counterfeit question. Um, my favorite cycling you know, glasses brand has, has generally been Oakley. And, and part of that is because I'm a vain douchebag who likes the way Oakley's look and a lot of the best pros wear them. And it used to be Peter Sagan wore Oakley jawbreakers and everybody needed to have Oakley jawbreakers. But really, truly, like, um, and for reasons I'll go into in just a second, like the lenses are great, the looks great or whatever. And a pair of Oakley jawbreakers is 230 bucks. Um, in less than a minute of Googling, I was able to find relatively convincing counterfeit Oakley jawbreakers that are about $17. Um, and so I, I, I know a lot of people probably wonder like, look, these will protect my eyes. They'll, you know, like it's more comfortable to be outside on a sunny day wearing these than nothing. You know, um, I'm a high school kid who doesn't have a lot of money. This makes a lot of sense. I knew a lot of kids who had, you know, fake Oakleys back in the day. In the, you know, when you go race midweeks and stuff. Um, those I would, I would, I would categorize those as dangerous. Um, they're going to scratch quick. They're going to do the thing where they're probably not actually UV protective. All that, but like, if you crash wearing those, they will shatter, <laughs> and um, they're they're just plastic, right? Um, you know, they will shatter, and that is dangerous for obvious reasons. Um, it's not like if, if I, I'll tell you, if I knew somebody was using a counterfeit Envy carbon handlebar on their bike, I would tell them not to come to another Maybird ride until they have another one. Cause that is a clear and obvious safety danger where you're going to die. Right. The counterfeit, like I wouldn't kick someone off a Maybird ride for wearing them, but it's more just like foolish. It's like not wearing a seatbelt. It's like, you know, I know you saved a buck, but like if you ever crash, damaging your eyes is a bad thing like in terms of like quality of life mistakes but like like would pugs from maverick they're probably safe i mean that's a big enough legit so, company that they wouldn't want to get sued exactly and that's what i keep coming back to and i know it's depressing but like buy glasses from someone you could sue not that you would but like the fact that that relationship is there that that's the relationship they have with their customers you know, they will be concerned enough about safety that like and not just cycling wearing pugs on a job site and slipping 
you know, on a construction site, you don't want those to shatter and break your eyes either. And Pug doesn't want to be sued, right? Those fake Oakleys are coming from China on AliExpress. You have no legal recourse. They don't need to worry about something like that because whatever happens with their product down the road, they're insulated from. Yeah. So basically we're, what we're telling you is to either get Pugs or Oakleys. Right. And so, well, so I, this is what I'm going to run over now. This is the really technical stuff that you were curious about. Um, cycling and not just cycling just any sunglasses are going to be like it's pretty rare that sunglasses are actually made out of glass um some are some really high-end ones are but for the most part when you're buying sunglasses they're made of some kind of plastic and plastic's tricky because plastic is like saying something's made out of plastic is kind of like saying something's made out of metal and this is the exact same thing i've said about carbon fiber people are like you can buy a carbon fiber toothbrush or a carbon fiber formula one car you know paper clips are made of metal nuclear submarines are made of metal you know, uh, plastic isn't plastic, isn't plastic. And if you're buying, you know, pugs from, from the gas station, I don't know. I tried to figure out what they were made of. I had a, had a hard time finding out, but fake Oakley's are going to be plastic. They're going to be like really cheap, crappy plastic. Higher end glasses are generally going to be made out of some form. I believe it's polyurethane, just like a, which, and I, this is where my low IQ comes into play. And I can't really explain gracefully the materials differences, but the th- like the important thing to know is high-end glasses are not just like you know basic plastic they are uh they're they're going to be and like the, the thing i always tell people is i remember oakley came into backcountry one time to give us a thing and the guy put some sunglasses in a little holder and got out a bb gun and stuck the barrel of the bb gun to these glasses and shot a little metal uh, uh bb pellet into the glasses and it was really cool because they caught it uh they didn't shatter um, and he said he didn't want to like shatter a pair of counterfeit Oakleys in the computer because it's like, you know, you want plastic flying everywhere and probably not safe. But, you know, like high end uh, uh, lenses are, are going to, you know, they're, they're not going to shatter. They're not going to, you know, scratch or, you know, all, you know so that I, I wish I could explain this better. And I was a materials expert, but you are paying for something. You know, you're not just paying for a name when it's Oakley. For um, cross-linking bonds. Sure. <laughs> I don't know. I can't say one way or another. I'm a business major. Um uh, and then the other thing to consider is that like when you spend more money, like it's actually going to help you out on the trail. And this is where I'm going to plug Oakley. And, and again, I can be editorial. I'm not in the industry anymore. Oakley makes like eight different lenses for every single one of their frames. And they're like, this is the one that's designed for road riding. This is the one that's designed for mountain biking. This one is designed for skiing, right? Where for the skiing one, it's like, this one is going to be polarized in a certain way because the light is going to be hitting the glasses at a different way. Or the mountain biking ones are going to be designed so that the colors show more contrast so you can pick up the trail better. And the road ones do something different entirely. Um, I would say if you're going to buy Oakleys, get the right lenses for what you're doing. If you're mostly riding mountain bikes, get the Prism Trail version. That's going to be better. It's going to be, I guess, generally like the Prism Trails are for slightly lower light conditions where you, where contrast is more important. And the road ones are going to be more like, um, uh, you know, like maybe have a slightly darker tint to them. Like they put a lot of thought into it. Um, but even like, like Smith has their chroma pop lenses that were like, um, you know, you get a little bit more differentiation and stuff. Colors look a little brighter and whatnot. So um, I looked really hard to try and find a way to tell you this brand is better than this brand is better than this brand. And what I landed on is like, there's not a whole lot of consistency and depending on which glasses you get from which brand, you'll have a better or worse time. Um, but I did get some roughly useful findings and that would be that the big names in the game 
the Oakleys and the Pox and the Smiths, like there is an argument for their prices. Their prices are high, but the glasses are gonna last a long time. You're going to like wearing them. You're gonna see better out on the trail, but you don't need to spend Oakley money. A brand that I found a lot of positive reviews on was Tifosi. Um, I used to avoid their glasses because they were ugly. They're less ugly now. You know, they're making glasses that are a little more fashionable. All of the reviewers were like, you know, we found that these scratched a little quicker. Um, the lenses weren't as nice to look out of as Oakley or, or Pac or whatever, but they're really good and they're like half the price, right? Mm-hmm. Um, pugs are tricky because you're always like, what about gas station glasses? And the truth is like, yeah, they're fine, but I don't think that you'll spend the money on like and the thing is, and, like I, They're great for driving, but I... I Si- I would mountain have, biking's technical. It's yeah. a technical use case. And like, if you're doing this on a budget, gas station glasses are fine. Glasses you buy at Walmart or Foster or Gant, Foster Grant, whatever, like sunglasses I bought at Walmart one time in a, in a pinch. Like, those are fine and they're not going to be actively dangerous. But if you can, if you can swing it, you're going to have a much better time. Because like, think about all the hours you ride wearing sunglasses. You know, I doubt anybody's like bought the Oakleys and was like, oh, this was a mistake as they're out riding. I wish I was wearing, you know, gas station sunglasses right now. So that's, that's the kind of take. I really wanted to be able to tell you one brand is better than another brand is better than another brand. But like, it's more like one pair is better than another pair is better. Like Smith makes some glasses that are better than some Oakleys. Oakleys are better than some Pox and Pox are better than some Oakleys, depending on which ones you get. But I would actually think about it. I would actually try it. And then the other tip I have is like, the one practical thing that I'd throw out is like, make sure they play nicely with your helmet. You know, like I've had, you know, glasses, helmet combinations where like on my head, the helmet was constantly pushing the sunglasses down the bridge of my nose. Or like, I actually had a really frustrating experience with Pac, with my uh, current Pac glasses where my glasses, you know the trick where you flip your glasses upside down and stick them in the mm-hmm. holes of your helmet? That's a must. You know, like if, if I'm riding that's and I don't want my sunglasses on my eyes, that's where I want them to be. Make sure the sunglasses that you're buying fit into your helmet. Like do some intentional reading and stuff. Um, and then, you know, like I'm not going to tell you you have to spend Oakley or Smith or Pac money, um, but try to at least spend Tifosi money was kind of where I landed. You okay. know, like you can get really good quality sunglasses for a hundred bucks. Mm. It's totally doable. And if you can't swing it, get the gas station, you know, pugs or whatever, the Walmart glasses, but don't buy the, don't ones. buy counterfeit glasses on AliExpress. Fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. Any questions, Dan? Um, wh- like my biggest concern is like riding West when the mm. sun is like, Oh yeah. Staring in the face. I can't see a thing. I, I used to take off my sunglasses when it was that bad. I could just yep. feel like there was so much glare in my sunglasses. I got some polarized Oakley flight jackets. It didn't lately. I've actually been wearing um, those photochrom. What are they like? The ones that change colors. Photochromatic. Like, yeah, the photochromatic. The tr- transition kind right. of ones. I've actually kind of liked them because it's like they kind of work good in just about everything. But right. they're not. They're never super dark. Like I would never wear them. Right. Out on on snow, for instance. Like, right. That I was gonna say. Photochromatic glasses are awesome, but they can only get so dark. Is the downside? Yeah. Essentially. Like, yeah, I would never use those during the winter. But So this is interesting. That is a very particular um, situation that you're talking about there. And there's not a whole lot of good information on it out there, but I did find something. It was a really interesting quote that stuck with me. Someone was like, sunglasses aren't designed so that you can stare at the sun. If you're in a case where you stare at the sun, that's tough. Like, 
the way that sunglasses work essentially is you have more or less tint depending on how much light there is, right? Now I need some of those eclipse glasses. That's just what is it. For a solar eclipse, they make glasses designed for staring at the sun, but you can't see a darn thing if you're not staring directly at the sun, right? There like the 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 essential mechanism that sunglasses work by is more sun, more tint, less sun, less tint. You know, like I have clear lenses for my pox that I that I love because I can go and ride at night or on a really rainy day or something and I have no tint because there's no sun. And if I was wearing the glasses with a lot of tint, it would reduce my visibility, right? Glasses are intended to maximize visibility and, and like a, a, a pair of glasses that allowed you to ride directly into the setting sun um, would make you blind the rest of the time. So the only thing I could figure for that is like find the darkest tint glasses you possibly can and then do the first part of the ride without them and then when you're riding into the sunset at the end of the ride put on your dark tint glasses there's just not i really did look i could not find very much like yeah i found sunglasses are almost worse in that case but yeah you know and and you know like if you're riding in the rain sometimes i'll take my sunglasses off because like water keeps collecting on my glasses and you know like the whole point of glasses is to maximize your visibility and there are going to be times when like maximum visibility means no glasses okay fair enough sounds good all right if you have any tech questions please send them over we, we like talking about those but i do think we should probably reserve the rest of our episode here looks like we're only half an hour in so that should give you enough time but um every time we have dr ross on i'm just wowed he's awesome so i do if you if you missed it um i do think we have a recording it's recorded and i sent out the the link on team snap um scroll back and look for that um but yeah we, we do want to go over this and i should say like i have always struggled a lot with race anxiety and I should say I've always struggled a lot with anxiety about everything um, you know I take my happy pills in the morning to get through the day um, anxiety has always been a huge problem with me like race anxiety is really a pronounced part of my life that had a really negative impact on my well-being in high school and like I don't know if you guys I, like people actually know me know that it, in the past couple of years at least I really didn't race bikes that much racing's never been super important to my motivation to train I still wanted to get faster and more skilled and everything, but just didn't have a desire to race. And I think a lot of it came down to the fact that like the week before a race is just miserable for me. I'm just dissolving in my own stomach acids all day long. And um, that was a little graphic. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, and so Dan was, I was we were driving down to the race and Dan's like, Oh, are you excited? And I'm like, no, I'm excited for it to be over. I know it's good for me. I did this. I mean, it's my own 70 bucks that I'm spending on these eye cups and stuff. I want to do it but I'm not excited because I'm so nervous. And, and I, I, I had a work commitment. I was able to, to catch Dr. Ross's um, uh, clinic this week. And Dan and I went and listened back to it, had a really good conversation. And I do think it helped me feel a little better about the whole thing leading up to the race. So we wanted to give, um, you know, kind of a little bit of the 411 on that um, and uh, you know, try to make it a little... Uh, you know, get it out there a little more because it's such a good, it's such a good well, message he has. The thing is, he did like a slideshow and each one of his slides could have been its own one it's hour exactly discussion. Right. You know, there was almost too much in too little time that, you know, and, and so when I went back and listened to it, I got way more out of it than I did the first time. And, and I just took some notes and we're just going to kind of go over my notes real right. quick for those that missed it. Maybe can, or, or if you, even if you listen to it, don't skip I th- this. I think it'll be a good review. And th- really quick. I, I want to give my pitch. If you, if you're not familiar with Dr. Ross, Dr. Um, Dr. Ross, he is a, he's a clinical psychologist. He has a PhD. Um, we are constantly bombarded by crappy, empty, platitude, dense, motivational speeches from people on social media 
we want to make clear this is not this is like a scientist this is somebody who's like a diligent researcher who's going to give you like practical data driven this is how your brain works and this is how to deal with it not just like try harder be the best you know like that empty garbage that you see on instagram all day long like this is excellent really top quality stuff that like we pay for you know Mm -hmm. he's a professional whose time we pay for he's not just some guy trying to hawk his book so um really pay attention to this even if you already listen to the clinic okay so yeah like i said just going to kind of go over my notes we'll just kind of discuss these and i hope i hope this is a good review but so you know he he, first he kind of started talking about like like our mind and our mind can do a couple of different things for us Mm -hmm. one it can give us the ability to push through really really difficult things or it can it has the ability to talk us out of things too because right. your brain is designed to protect you yeah it's designed that, to keep you alive yeah and that that's exactly it um, um one thing he said about mental toughness too that i thought was interesting is it's not something we're born with yeah, it's not congenital huh yeah it's it's a skill that we learn and develop hmm. and and which is either encouraging or discouraging you know i mean the, the if you if if mental toughness isn't your isn't your strength, you know, it's something you can develop. And one thing he kind of compared it to that I thought it was really interesting is like learning Spanish, you know, like I loved that. comparison. That was a really good analogy. Like he basically said that, you know, if you're going to learn another language, you know, you've got to go out and get some books, listen to some tapes, go out and speak it with go some out people. Speak it. You're not going to be good at it at first, you know, but eventually you're going to learn it. Right. But you've got to be pretty diligent and, and, about it you know but he said that in that process you're not going to forget english you're un- unlearn you're not going to unlearn you know? english yeah. you're like like speaking spanish will still be like a, if you're an english speaker you know primarily that like speaking spanish will be like okay i have to think about this like i'm gonna have a, a conversation in spanish here i can't do what's most comfortable because what's most comfortable is to speak english and i think people like me even if i eventually learn to get over this race anxiety that probably won't ever be my default you yeah, know, that like that's something I will have to consciously. You're gonna get. have to be deliberate about. You have it. to check myself and be like, okay, let's think about this. Let's figure out, you know, how to how to how to overcome this. So, you know, he talked to, talked about a lot of things, but anxiety is probably the biggest thing that. Yes, and and it's it's just huge for our writers. There's right. just, so it's it's interesting because talking to Joe and I, like we have we approach racing very differently. Very very. Differently. I experience zero anxiety for racing. I'm just like. Yeah. You know, people know I'm not that great. I just show up. I have fun. I do my best. I try really hard. I get a lot of PRs while I'm out there. Right. You know, um, but I just have fun doing it. Like, I think it's a blast. I think it's a rush. I, I'm always just like so excited to see all my friends out there. I just think it's such a cool thing. I have very little anxiety about racing, you know, and, but Joe, on the other hand, it's, it's terrifying for him, you know, and so... Like I remember saying to you, like I've never actually had fun in a bike race, and and I just have a blast. Yeah, I truly enjoy it. I think it's fun. I like to do as many as I can, you know, and and so I think we all kind of approach racing differently, you know. Right. And, um, and I, Dan, and I are probably on extreme ends of the spectrum, you know. Like I have, I have my other, I have a lot of other psychological issues that underpin my relationship to racing. So I don't expect a lot of people to like fully empathize with me. Um, and I, I appreciate racing because it's good for you. And I like, I do, I do want to challenge and everything, but I think there are a lot of people who just decide to stop racing because like the, it's like a net negative in their life that like, it feels good to be done with a race and it makes you better. But like, 
you know, living with that kind of nervousness all the time, I do think, I think, I think that deters people from staying in cycling seriously. Cause it's kind of yeah, so hard to stay in cycling seriously without racing. You know, there's like, there's a, there's a correlation between people not racing and people just not riding their bikes, which is why a big part of why we encourage racing. Because really racing is a motivator to, to maintain top fitness, top health, top, right. You know, conditioning and so right. forth. So, so anxiety, like, like you mentioned earlier, you know, we are really programmed. Our brain is basically programmed to keep us safe. It's, it's from, evolved to do that. That's to all To keep us safe do, from right? threats. Right. Right. And, um, so probably the biggest threat we face as cyclists is, are, are threats to our identity because right. what, what do you mean by that then let's listen for people who missed that podcast yeah so he said what he said is we fuse who we are with what we do mm. Mm. okay i'm very much guilty of this i think a yeah. lot of people listening to this podcast are totally and, guilty and so so basically our outcomes start to form our identity and a lot of the anxiety and stress people experience from racing is is that this identity becomes threatened you right know, you, you know that like like what if i don't do well what if what if i'm slow will people not like me anymore will i people you know will like like the the the, the math is kind of this i am i'm a cyclist and that's all i am and if i do bad in a race i'm not a good cyclist and if i'm not a good cyclist and that's all i am i'm not a good person and that sounds drastic, but how many Nike kids do you think have had some form of conversation in their head that sounded something like that? Mm -hmm. A lot of them. Just, I, I mean, I did. Yeah, so, I certainly did. So really, a lot of this anxiety we experience is because it's a threat to our anxiety, uh, to, to our identity. You're saying the, the anxiety is a threat to our anxiety. <laughs> it feels like that sometimes. Yeah. How would that work? That'd be. Um, so he said that there's there's only he said that there's three ways to view a big moment. One is that it's a threat, okay, which is I think what a lot of people do. It's what I. It's my default. Yeah, but what about? There's also two other ways. What about it's a challenge, mm -hmm. and it could be an opportunity. Right. And what would you think is the difference between a challenge versus an opportunity? Like, you know, I think I think a challenge, like helping a loved one through. Uh, a terminal illness is a challenge and that's an extreme example but like I don't know that that's an opportunity you could maybe like you could maybe learn things from that but it really is just this is something hard you're going to have to get through breaking your leg and having to take a season off riding is a challenge right an opportunity I think opportunities are challenges with potentially good outcomes right like I'm going to take this promotion at work and I've never been a manager before and I'm going to go and and do my best and try to learn. But I, I think, and I think there's some things that we deal with that are just a challenge. Well, that that's like, almost exactly what he said. He's, his example is just like, he's like, you know, just put it all out there and see what happens, mm -hmm. which, like, right. You know what? That's kind of a fun approach to racing, you know, maybe yeah. just like, gosh, I, <laughs> to hell with it. Let's yeah, just, I you could, know, I'm, you know, I might blow up. I might <laughs> explode. I might right. limp the last lap. Right. But hey, let's see what, yeah. let's see what happens. You mm -hmm. know, I mean, usually the most careful person doesn't win the race. Nope. Yeah. Ge I mean, generally not. There's you know, yeah. that. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I hadn't thought about it like that before. Isn't that kind of interesting? That is yeah. kind of interesting. You know, but yeah, definitely like, like sometimes like, you know, if, if you think, you know, if you show up to race and you're like, okay, these guys, these guys are fit. These guys are fast. Right. Okay. I'm okay too. Yeah. You know, I've, I've, but if you're some, listening to this, you're a good bike rider. Yeah. You're better than, you know, you're way I've, better than most people. I've ridden for the past how many three years you know how many years right. you guys have ridden i go to most of the rides i've done a lot of work i've got a lot you know what 
let's, let's why shouldn't do, they be scared of me too yeah exactly you know, let's, like, let's see what i can do you know right let's, you know so if you can if you can reframe that from that threat to a challenge or an opportunity that could really just totally reframe the experience you know yeah another thing too that you can you can reframe it as is anxiety is is really excitement yeah okay okay defend that <laughs> I'm, I'm skeptical <laughs> sometimes it depends on the anxiety and i think like anxiety is a spectrum like there's some there's some anxiety that's just awful and then there's other anxiety that's like oh like a like first well, date with so i don't think anxiety well i think excitement's good i don't think anxiety because really what anxiety is is it's it's fear of the future fear of something right. that hasn't happened yet and it's usually the fear of the unknown and mountain bike is, yeah. mountain bike racing is just unknowns in, yeah. in the moment it's unknown it's unpredictable and scary but excitement could be like just like a lot of potential it could be potentially mm. good you know that that you know you're you're you've got some you've done some work you've got some fitness and you're excited to kind of put it out there and you're excited right. to go and and you know and, and so sometimes like if you feel a little bit nervous or you feel a little bit of anxiety just think okay this is an anxiety this is i'm, I'm not nervous i'm, I'm not, excited I'm, I'm excited this is exciting right. this is you know this is going to be hard this is going to be uncomfortable but it's something i can do it's something i've done before because truly anxiety is just chronic nervousness right like anxiety i don't think is like an acute thing anxiety is like it's like a condition Almost, you know, we're like ex excitement, nervousness. Those are kind of in the moment things. Yeah, he he did talk a little bit about like choking, where he like anxiety, and and it was interesting because he said that like anxiety can get to a certain point where it'll shut off blood supply to, to certain parts of your brain. to a certain part of your brain. Um, it's he um, it's it's the motor strip was what it, it diverts it from the motor strip. To the part of your brain that releases stress hormones interest from the mo motor like movement yeah part of your brain yeah the movement you can part tell dan and i are physicians right yeah. everybody can but, tell <laughs> um and and so it releases the stress hormones which which basically makes it so there's something that like under normal relaxed circumstances we could do fine hmm. but that anxiety makes it so we can't really perform anymore hmm. Um, which is choking, you know, and right, you know, and I know so many kids that, you know, you get them on a group ride, they're fine. You get them in a race. They just can't, yeah, they can't do it. They never, I think there are a lot of people who are frustrated because like they never get to show who they are as a rider in a race. Right. Yeah. Like other people like me, we usually have our best performances on a race because, right. you know, we're not experiencing anxiety We're we're, it's more excitement and so forth, you know, so we do. The races make us do better, but other people, they, you know, choking. One thing he did point out, though, is, is usually once you get moving, once you actually get moving, the the blood starts going to more to your heart and your working muscles and so forth. And so it's it's not getting it's not getting sent to your the, the fight or flight systems in your brain anymore, you know, and you start feeling better. So. To me personally, I think that, you know, if, if you are feeling anxious or nervous, spinning around helps a lot. Yeah. You know, it's Move. not, it's yeah. not warming up. It's just spinning around and moving and getting the blood. Don't just sit there in a camp chair looking at the ground. Yeah. Right? You know, don't let, you know, get it. I do wonder as the coach of this team, how would you like, or how do you think a racer should feel on the start line? How would you describe what you should be feeling 
an hour before the race, the night before the race, on the start line? Like, what 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 is the ideal in your mind? That's a really good question. But you know, I would say a couple words come to mind. The first one, excited. Okay. I think if you're excited, that's a good thing. Right. I think if you don't, if you're not nervous at all, that means you don't care. You know, if if it's something you just don't even think about, that means you don't care. I want this to be something that's important and you're excited about it, but it's not anxiety. You're not afraid of it. And the other the other word I like is is gratitude. Interesting. You know, just um just be grateful for this opportunity you have to to race on this level and for those that have done so much to make it possible for you to do this and for all the friends and all the experiences you've had through cycling i think i think that's a super important feeling to be feeling as you're approaching a race is just gratitude and then the other one and dr ross mentioned this too is just trust hmm. you know trust I've done the work why shouldn't it work yeah hmm. you know trust is kind of the antidote to anxiety you know you're kind of like um yeah i've i've ridden my bike a lot i've as much as these people have you know i've got about as good of a chance as these guys do to do well you know i i know how to do this i've done this before i've succeeded before i've yeah i i can do this that note on gratitude is interesting because that wasn't part of our earlier conversation um because we've basically had this conversation before and it because i did i did wonder on Saturday night or on, on Friday night before the race, I was really nervous. I was like, you know, if I got hit by a car tonight and lost the use of my legs, I would give anything to do this bike race tomorrow. The bike race that I'm laying in bed that I honestly don't want to do, that like if it was canceled tomorrow morning, I'd be relieved. Right? I'm like, I would give anything to go and do this. If I if I if like you took if you took cycling away from me, this wasn't just racing, like just the worst ride ever. I would I would I would kill to do, right? I'd do anything. And and uh you know, I, I don't, I think that's maybe like a drastic way to reframe it, but, um, I do think that like all in all, all aspects of cycling should be fun. They should be things that you're looking forward to doing. And if they're not, if, if like, you know, you don't have to look forward to every race and not every ride is going to be, a, you know, the best, but like, like riding should be chronically fun. And if it's not, then reevaluate so i pre i like that gratitude you know every once in a while dan you do have something good to say okay. i like that it's rare but and, it's, and see the fact that i'm saying that means that it's actually really means good a lot. Point, I'm gonna, right i'm kind of starting to cry oh, getting all moved you know don't worry i'll be i'll go back to being a douchebag now okay so so i just um so this part will ultimately kind of dovetail with what we're about to talk about but there's some things i've got a little list based on the Iro, I, I made this list, but it's based on rewatching his, his, uh, his phone call. Um, and I think these might be good to write down. Maybe these are just some good ways to help us manage anxiety because almost everyone deals with things. Everyone deals with anxiety. It's, it's like the most common. You should deal with some yeah. amount of anxiety. It's just keeping it in control. Basically. It's keeping right. it under control. And, and here's, here's the things I wrote down that are going to, cause really this right here is going to help more than anything with the next problem we're going to be talking about. So, so take a moment to grab to your jot these paper, down. Get, get out your notes app. So the first one for managing anxiety is just, is reframe, reframing our threats as challenges or opportunities. Okay. Okay. Which we already talked about. Yes. We, the next one is, is change anxiety into excitement 
you know, like instead of thinking, oh, I'm anxious, you think you realize, oh, I'm excited and this is potentially good. This excitement is going to help me have a better performance because I'm excited. So that's the second one. The third one, and this is kind of tricky, but super important, is to decouple your outcome with your identity. Oh, interesting. So, so I do, I do badly on the race or I do poorly in the race. I'm not a bad person. Yeah. I'm not a bad cyclist. You're not a bad athlete. You're not a bad cyclist. You're not a bad person. You're not a bad son. You're not a bad, well, maybe you're not a bad dad. Right. You're not a bad. I'm a bad son for other reasons. (laughs) You're not a bad person. You know, like you can have a bad race. You can have a bad season. You can have, and, and that's not, doesn't affect who you are. You know, you can have a fantastic season next year. You can have a fantastic race next. Yeah. So, so separate your outcomes from your identity. And, and like really specifically outcomes, I assume, because like you could have a race where you don't try that hard and it's whatever and you don't care and you win. And you could also have races where you give it your all and you put in, you have your best, you know, power numbers ever and, and everything and you come in 87th, right? Like we're talking outcomes specifically here. Right. Outcome specifically. I think you should differentiate like your effort in a race versus, you know, because I've, I've, and we're going to talk about that was going to be like my focal point. You just stole lots of thunder right there. Oh, gosh. See, we really should. (laughs) I I can't decide if I like the organic, kind of rustic nature of the show where we don't share notes or if it's just so disorganized. No, but that, yeah, that's definitely, you got to separate who you are from your outcomes, which is very difficult to do. It's hard to do. And uh, it's a skill. So, the next one is building trust. We talked about that before where, you know right. what, you trust that you've ridden your bike for three, four, five, how many, however many years you've been riding your bike to, yep. um, you, you trust that, you know, that you've learned from your coaches. You've, you know, you've been, you've raced before and you've succeeded and survived or, you know, or whatever, you know, you just, you just, there's just so you kind of just think of all the things you have that are going your way and trust those things. Um, he gave the example of like how many of you, how many adults are worried about getting a flat tire in their car. And right. it's kind of like, you know what? I really don't I worry about that. Worry about that. It doesn't really happen that often. And when it does, I'm prepared. When it does, it's not the end of the world, you know? So what are, I'm, I'm curious. I know I'm kind of interrupting. Like, what are you anxious about? If not racing, like what aspects of your life are you anxious about? And is it true that like it's areas of your life where you have less trust and more uncertainty? Oh, it's, it's more stuff. about work and stuff. Like, right. Yeah. The kind of uncertain. Yeah. Like cycling's my happy place. As, yeah. it, as it should be. As it yeah, works. Not as much, you know. But, Interesting. Yeah. Huh. Okay. So, um, yeah. And then an easy one that, that everyone can do and needs some practice and is just slowing your breathing, doing breathing exercises. That's probably the, if you are kind of having an anxiety attack, probably the easiest way. I mean, that's probably easier to do than to quickly reframe this threat to a challenge or something, you know, or I love this one. Cause like a really cynical person could listen to all of this and be like, that's all just platitudes. You're just, you're just giving me a motivational speech essentially. But like, that's like a, a, a very real tangible thing that you can do that like is known to reduce an, in the moment anxiety. Yes. Right? Like, so just there's different slower. breathing drills. Just slow your breathing down. Just relax. Slow the breathing. Be conscious of the breathing. Um, and then I think once you do that, then you can start reframing some of these. You know, reframing this as an is excitement rather than anxiety. And right. Yeah. So so that's kind of managing anxiety. Super important. I hope you remember those things because it's going to really 
help deal with what we're about to talk about. But out of all the things I, I took away from Dr. Ross's presentation, this is something that I had never heard of before. And I think it's just the most awesome thing. And I hope I talk about this more and more and more because I think it's super, super cool. And I think this, what I'm about to say, could just be a huge benefit and game changer if we can apply. So so we've talked a lot before about, and I've talked a lot before about outcome versus process goals, right? Right. You know, outcome goal is your goal is to be on the podium or to, right. to be Jenny at the race or, or to, to qualify for X or, or yeah, you know, get a KOM on this or whatever. That's an outcome goal. You know, we have very limited control on those. Then there's process goals. I've talked a lot about process goals, which are goals like, you know, to complete your training consistently or to be able to do this by this certain time or to, you know, process goals we can control for the most part, you know, and I've talked a lot about those, but Dr. Ross brought up performance standards, Hmm. which I thought was really, really interesting and that we can set performance standards and, and there are things that we can control and those are what we should really judge whether the race was a success or not, is whether we met our performance standards or not. So what, like, good, elaborate. What's a performance standard? And, and that's the thing. He said that there's something, there are things we almost need to come up with for ourselves or as a team, what our performance standards are, you know? And, and I thought about some of those. And, you know, like, so a performance standard I thought of, one is like, no matter how good the race is going or how bad the race is going, always just dig deep and push yourself. Right. Like if it's going well, push yourself still, you know, yeah, if you're two minutes ahead, try to finish four minutes ahead. Yeah. If, if you're at the back of the group and the group just disappears and they're out of sight, don't give up. Just keep pushing yourself, you know, and, and pushing yourself. There's nothing that fancy or magical about it. It's yeah. just, but it, it's powerful, you know? Right. That's the first one. Just always push yourself. The second one I thought of is to ride smoothly. You know, no matter how panicked you are or how much stress you're, always focus on riding smoothly because riding smoothly is riding safe and riding smoothly is fast. Right. And it, it, it might, this might be a really, this is, like, this is a hard adjustment for me because it, it almost means like coming off the gas a little bit. You know, like, like I wonder if we timed ourselves on just a ride versus a race on the same descent, right? Same technical descent. I'm convinced that a lot of people are going to be faster just on the ride because they're so in their head in the race. They're so push, 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 go, you know, push faster than I've ever done this corner. And then like you end up making an amalgamation of mistakes that slow you down on that. And like you said, like, so that's like a Lakota saying, wasn't it? Just smooth is fast. You know, like pros are smooth. I think Johnny said that. That was, yeah, that's true. That probably yeah. is. Yeah. Smooth is fast. And if you watch the pros, they're smooth. Yeah. You know, like you see, and you see it in They Nika. never look out of control. No, you see Nike all the time. Kids trying to ride and, and to their credit, trying to ride as fast as they can, who just look completely out of control. Like they're a passenger on the bike. You know, that's not fast in the long run. That's not fast. Yeah. And the next performance standard I thought of, um, is to just be in the moment. What do you mean by that? I hate, I hate when people say that when they don't really mean it. Like, what do you actually read into the phrase be in the moment? Cause we're always all in the moment. We're not time travelers, right? Well, yeah. You know, but when you're in a race, so 
what is the most important part of any race? Uh, the, the start, I guess. The most important part of any race is the part you're in right now. Oh, Dan, I'm going to clip it. I sound like an idiot. Now. I'm like, that's a, that's a stupid question. What do you mean is the most important? When you finish, when you start? I was trying to think of like, that's probably the safest answer. But yes, I guess it is whatever yeah, part of it and, you're and in. And so like, you know, wherever you're at in that race, that's the most important part. That's the part you're supposed to be in. It's the part you have control Don't over. be thinking about what happened, like missing your pedal at the start. Don't think about like when you like try to pass someone and got caught in a sagebrush bush or whatever. Right. Is sagebrush bush redundant? Yes. Okay. Yep. Um, don't think about like, oh my goodness, there's a lap and a half left and I'm already cramping or whatever. Just be in that moment. Super important. And that helps with flow too. You know, if you're, right. you know, if you're too busy thinking about your sprint finish when you're only, you know, like two thirds of through with the race you know you, you know you gotta you got yeah you just gotta be in the moment but throughout there like you should be conscious of the future and be thinking strategically I, I heard one time i wish i could remember where plan for the future but don't live in it you know because like it is important to say like you know oh we're on the last quarter of the last lap here and i'm with a guy who's twice my size i don't like my odds in a sprint against this guy maybe make my attack on the final climb not let it come down to a spirit. Like, okay, yeah, be strategic. Yeah, I mean, you should have a plan, but don't. But don't but, live there. Like, because yeah. the moment you're, because, and that's the thing is like, mountain bike racing is, you have to be on the ball all the time. Like, you can't, you can't be like zoning out. Like, you can maybe zone out in a road race sometimes. Maybe zone out in a football game. Like, in a mountain bike race, mountain biking requires constant attention and a constant input, you know, just to steer your bike and stay upright. So you, you yeah. do kind of have to live in the moment, huh? And the last performance standard that I thought of, and there's probably more, but the last one I just thought, you know, I'm just going to throw this out there to just be kind. You know, I love that. You know, be, you can be fast and you can be cool out there and friendly and kind and, and, and pleasant to be around, you know, and, and that's what I want Maybird riders to be when they're out there. And that's something you can always control. I'd you like know. to give you guys a little bit of background because Dan and I talk about this team all the time. I've never once heard Dan say, you know, this person's struggling, their race results aren't great, they've just never been able to achieve that much. Let's kick them off the team. I've, I've never heard, we've had conversations about people who are struggling. We've had, had conversations about people like, man, you know, like that, that's just never, that, that big results always eluded them, right? I have had conversations with you about individuals, not individuals who are on or have ever been on the team, but you're like, that guy's a douchebag. I really don't want them having anything to do with this team because we have a culture here that we really care about. Like you've never, you genuinely, like it's not, Dan means it when he says he doesn't care about results for you guys. Like it's, it would be a cool bonus if somebody won nationals in a Maybird kit someday. We'd love to see it. That is just not why we do this. You know, but like I have heard you say, like I, I've, I have some concerns about this person's ability to, um, you know, stay in line with the culture of our team. You said it in a way less fancy way than that, but... Um, like, I don't, I think, I think we'd kick someone off the team for being a douchebag. I think yeah, we'd do I that. So. I can see us doing that. I hope we never have to, obviously, yeah. but yeah, like we really care about that. So yeah. So performance standards, I, I really hope that, you know, you can use these performance standards I just threw out there. I think they're pretty good ones, but I think that your performance standards, like when you get done with a race to decide whether that was a good race or not, if you look at your performance standards and think, yeah, you know what? I pushed, yep. I, I really pushed myself. Yep. And if you can think, you know, and I was, I stayed pretty smooth. I didn't panic. I stayed pretty smooth, you know, mm -hmm. and, 
and they stayed in the moment. I, I was present, yep. you know, and I was, I was cool out there. I was, I was yeah. nice to people. When I needed I, to pass, I did it. I was nice. Yeah. You know, you know, and you know, if you can finish a race thinking, you know what, I think I checked off my performance standards. You deserve to be happy about that race. You're, if you did those things, your race was a success, regardless of if you won or finished DFL. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you know, like the thing with performance standards, I don't think they're ever going to hurt your race. You know? No, like, you're you know, it's just like, like, oh, if I would just been more rough and yelled at someone, I would have won, you know, like, like no one's yeah, ever thought that. Like right? this, it'll just be a win-win. You know, I think right. that trying to achieve your performance standards naturally going to make you be faster and do better. Yeah. And, but if you judge yourself on those rather than your outcome, it's going to just make you happier about the sport and happier about the experience. And, and one final note, I know I'm jumping in so much today. Forgive me. One final jumping. note I'd throw in is mountain bike races are unpredictable and things are constantly changing. I got a little bit down on myself because my start yesterday wasn't very good. The, the group went off really hard and two or three minutes and I'm like, I'm gonna have to back it off a little bit. And I might, this front group, I, I, I was, this has been my comeback to racing at seventh at Red Rock. I was like, I'd love to get on the podium. The podium's close. I'd love to be back on a podium, right? And I saw the podium right away. I saw the top six guys get away from me. I'm like, I'm where I was last week. And I was a little bummed and I kind of caught myself bumming out. And I was still going to try hard, right? But then halfway through the race, one of the guys dropped a chain and I passed him. And then at the very, in the last minute of the race, I caught fifth place and I passed him. And I was like, you know what? I spent the whole race bumming about something that just kind of resolved itself. And on the flip side, you might be in first and then some guy had a slow start and he's going to motor on by, you know, on, on lap five out of six or whatever, right? So like mountain bike races are unpredictable. You have to embrace that and be okay with it. And sometimes it's going to work for you. Sometimes it's going to work against you. But like, you know, I think, you know, being strategic is good. But that's why like what you said, Dan, like living in the moment is important because like you have no idea what the future is in a mountain bike race. Things change all the time. And you just have to make each moment be the best that it can be because that is the most important part of the race. There we so. go. Fair enough. Gosh, I hate it when you have good points. It's more fun to like dunk on you, but you know. <laughs> Okay, so uh, switching gears, but not really. I hate that pun. I hate that pun so bad. But like, what's a better way to say that? Changing tracks? Gosh, uh, if somebody um, said changing tracks, be like, is that an alien in a human suit trying to be convinced? <laughs> you have to say switching gears. It's just, yeah. it's an ingrained idiom or whatever you'd call that. Okay. Be switching gears on my derailleur without a derailleur hanger. Oh, uh, oh, that's, oh, oh my gosh. I forgot a, to talk about we that. We missed a whole news segment. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that oh, Okay. Not we'll that, that anyone hasn't week. heard of that. Yeah, we'll do that anyhow, next week. So, um, I, I just wanted, to, like, so it, it, at the race um, this weekend, we had so many, probably at least five kids that I know of. Yep. Like, actually throw up. Yep. To, you know, and a lot of kids felt sick to their stomachs, and, you know, I was joking that maybe I poisoned the muffins or something, but... Um, I know, I know that this is, is a big deal for a lot of kids that yes. like, you know, like whenever they're at a race, they throw up or they, they can't eat before it or they feel sick and you is know, that nervousness is that nerves or is there something else going on here? Um, it's, it's mostly nervousness. Okay. It's mostly anxiety. Okay. Anxiety is by far, I mean, there's other factors. But but then that's why I think it really ties in with what we just talked about. This is this is probably get this 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 makes more sense talking about sunglasses because these do kind of dovetail together, right? Because this is one of the like real good reasons that you should try to minimize your anxiety because this is like a really tangible effect it's going to have on oh, you. Oh, absolutely. Can't fuel your if race, you can't fuel your race, that's yeah, that's a major performance. Yeah. Your anxiety is more than just discomfort if it's if preventing it's affecting you from getting you from calories fueling. in your system. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. 
yeah, your racing abilities are extremely limited if you can't fuel your racing right. So super important. Um, yeah, there's, so, you know, there's, there's different things with, with racing that's going to cause gut issues. Um, but the biggest one is, is anxiety, right. especially for youth cyclists. It's interesting because this tends to go away as you get older. Oh, really? Yeah. It, it, it's something that youth cyclists are going to deal with more than old people like me. So there's like n- none of like, the masters are throwing up. Like seriously? On the start line. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Huh. Um, like honestly, like if you handed me a piece of, and you guys can try this sometime. <laughs> if you handed me a piece of pizza during the race, I could eat it. Really? I think I could. Someone follow through on that. I'm, 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 I'm interested. I'm going to actually give you a pizza feed. Okay. You know, hold it, dangle the piece of pizza by the crust. You have to grab it. Like it's a funny image. Carry so, on. So anyhow, that's the first one that, that often causes gut issues. Okay. Um, the also like long durations can. Oh, interesting. You know, really? like like a lot of triathletes and ultra marathon runners, and you know, people doing like point to point or really long races. They tend to have gut issues. Hmm. You know, um, sprint level intensities. Oh yeah. Also can and, and I think this kind of applies to youth athletes because yeah. like like I'm an old guy that just likes to diesel through. I don't ever sprint unless So I, I don't know who was just talking to we watched the varsity start and then like an older group of guys start and I it was a fast group of guys. Like they weren't slow. I'm sure their lap times are similar, but holy smokes, Nika age starts are hilariously fast. They're hilarious because like no one knows how to pace yet everybody has a good sprint and like they just can't help themselves they've, they've just got to get it's like the, it's like mario kart style racing that we talked about where you just get on the gas and you never let go <laughs> yeah. you know <laughs> a lot more blow-ups in that race though like half the varsity field is going to blow up maybe one or two masters will right oh none of none of the masters grow yeah, yeah we right we pace it differently yeah. but we don't have to really deal with whole shots and- that's true because that's the problem is if if half the field decides they want to start that way the whole field has to what are you going to do right you can't let them go yeah you kind of have to go with it that you just have to learn how to deal with it and real i didn't realize that i mean it kind of makes sense it's intuitive why is that that like the higher intensity causes you to have gut issues well you know i mean a lot of times like when you near your maximum heart rate you can tend to throw up and so I heard that one time. isn't that true that like your maximum heart rate is the heart rate where if you hit it you puke I've heard that too I don't know I don't think I don't think there's a but, lot of science backing that up but, you know and one thing I've heard in regards to that like the sprint intensity puking a lot of times it just have like has to do more with how you cool down from that okay. like people ramp up too fast and then stop Right, and that's kind of what I'm ma- so guilty of that. And and that's kind of what makes you feel nauseous. Hmm. Whereas if you got up to that and gradually brought it down, you're less likely to feel nauseous. But okay. Um, and then and then another factor is gastric emptying, like your ability for your stomach to, you know, to take in nutrients and, and move it along to your intestines. You know, if if the food just kind of stays there, it causes all kinds of problems. So um, those are the yeah, those are the different kind of re a lot. Of, oh, and there's probably obviously more than that, but those are some that we're just going to talk about really quick today. Um, so, so let's talk about like like why anxiety would cause riders to not be able to eat or to throw up during their races. Um, you know, like like we said before, you know, anxiety is is a response to 
to keep us safe from a threat. Right. You know, and, and so like, and, and like, you know, like if you're running from a lion and Dr. Ross kind of gave that, gave this example, it wouldn't make any sense for you to want to go eat something before the lion kills you. Right. You know? So, I mean, naturally if you're experiencing anxiety or fear, your body will shut off the signals to be hungry. Interesting. Cause like, like you, you need to deal with the, you need to deal with the problem, not stop for a snack. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. Interesting. It is interesting to look at all these things from an evolutionary standpoint because they make sense. They really do. They don't make sense for us now, but for the past, you know, 200,000 years, they made sense. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so basically our brain releases adrenaline, which it, it, it also, it pulls blood away from our, from our stomach, from our intestines, from our digestive systems and sends it to our heart and our working muscles to help us get away from the lion or, you know, or deal with the threat that we're facing at the time. Right. Um, so, so basically the body really doesn't, isn't hungry and it can't really move food through the digestive system. So it might just end up staying in the stomach or, um, um, some of these stress hormones also just trigger nausea Hmm, and, and an interesting thing to point out though, we know we talked about caffeine last week is, is caffeine for some people can actually make this worse. Oh, okay. That's true. You know, cause yeah, huh? yeah. Cause yeah. caffeine does send tend to trigger some of those, those fight or flight chemicals more. So, um, so if, if this is something you're dealing with, which is probably most people that are dealing with, with these, uh, with not being able to eat or throwing up during a race, chances are it is anxiety related. The number one way to help this is going to be to deal with the anxiety, you know, right. kind of do some of those things we talked about earlier, trying to, you know, to reframe the situation, um, you know, try to think of it as a challenge to, as a, as excitement, um, you know, breathing techniques, spinning around on your bike. You know, if you're nervous, just spinning around on your bike is probably going to help you feel better. Really dealing with, with anxiety is probably the biggest way to, um, to, to deal with it. And if, if it's a major problem for you, um, you know, you might need more help than just listening to the podcast or you might need more like some counseling or, or Dr. Ross does have like his training peaks workshop that you can kind of go through and, you know, maybe something like that might help if, if this is a, a bigger deal that just, you know, but yeah, dealing with the anxiety is probably the, the most important thing for most of our gut issues. So question. Yes. That is a journey that you have to go on. That's not something you can do in a day, right? Like that, that takes a lot of like learning Spanish takes time, you know, mm-hmm. learning how to deal with this takes time. Let's say you've got Temecula next week and you, cause I'm, I'm sure somebody's listening to this who has Temecula next week, big, biggest race of the year so far, right? Competing is uh, kids from all over the country, um, for USAC points and whatnot. Um, realistically, a week is not enough time to master this. You can, I, there's definitely, you could feel better about Temecula than you would have, but you're probably not going to get over your anxiety. If you struggle with this, do you force yourself to eat? Do you kind of have to? Is that is that until you figure this out, should you force what, yourself to eat? Like what what are you, how do we, am I jumping ahead again? No, I mean, we're, we're going to talk about some things you can eat that will help with the problem. Okay. Too. I would say, yes, yeah, still eat. Just for, you got to yeah. eat. Eating's non-negotiable basically, yeah. right? Yeah. You've got to fuel. It's, is it better to eat and throw up than not eat? No. Okay. Well, no. <laughs> Well, I don't know. Um, the thing is, is you, you eat, 
you got to take the chance, I guess. You yeah. Know? But, um, but yeah, there, there's, there's certain things we can eat that would make it easier for people that are sensitive to this. But I would say, you know, if, if you've got a race in a week, I would practice some deep breathing techniques. Um, I personally think when I'm nervous, spinning around on the bike just helps a ton. Just kind of, um, just helps relax you. It's not a warm up. It's just to, to chill out, you know? Um, and then just practice like this week, you know, practice reframing things, you know, think, think about these things as, is excitement or a challenge or an opportunity. Cause I said they take time for what it's worth. I felt a lot better after yeah. listening to that and having conversation. It's not, it, it doesn't fix the problem. And if it's really bad, you might not, you know, cause we, we, we list like when we were driving to St. George, uh, we listened to Dr. Ross and then Joe and I talked about it for about an hour and he had a completely different race experience than he's had for a while, you know? Yeah. And so it can happen somewhat drastically like on one hand you can make a dent this week before temecula but on the other hand like it, it is still a journey you're not going to master this overnight but um yeah like i'm somebody who's really cynical about platitudes and motivational speeches and whatever but like this helped i can tell you that like from my experience as a skeptic you can make a a, a, a noticeable difference in a relatively short amount of time so anxiety is the first one let's talk next about gastric emptying okay um you familiar with this at all i mean it, it probably just the name of it you can kind of guess what it means like right? when you said gastric emptying like i'm like are we talking about bowel movements here like <laughs> i was like that is makes sense for a non-medically literate person like myself so we're actually talking about your stomach okay you know you like like, like food water fluids just sitting in your stomach aren't really going to do you a whole lot of good. Right. Because the idea of like the human body is that you eat food. It goes to the stomach where the stomach breaks it down in stomach acid. And then it goes to your intestines where it's absorbed. Is mm -hmm. that exactly roughly correct? That's, yeah, that's, that's okay. exactly it. And there's, there's and certain, not absorbed is past as waste, you know, and, and sometimes like, I guess, slow gastric emptying is not a huge problem, but right. when, when you're racing, it is, you know, you don't want just food and, and and fluids just sloshing around in your stomach you don't, you know like you don't want a big 12 ounce steak in your stomach sloshing around while you're trying to race right right yeah it's not helpful um so a really important thing to consider with gastric emptying is the concentration of the fluids you're consuming okay uh, and we talked about this in one of our, our earlier episodes we talked about osmolality when we were talking about hydration um, it's super interesting and super important. So blood osmolality is, it's measured in like how many, um, millimoles per kilogram of water and, and blood is, is usually in a range between 275 and 295 millimoles per kilogram of water. Okay. So kind of remember those numbers, 275, 275 said? to two, 295. Okay. Now, um, now, if something is more concentrated, has more particles than, than your blood, when that's in your stomach or when that's in your, your small intestine, it's going to draw water from your blood plasma into that solution to dilute it so it's, so it's balanced. Because like fresh water always flows towards the saltier water or the more right, concentrated right. water. Okay. So... So if you have something in your stomach that's that's more concentrated than your blood, it's going to have a longer time absorbing into your system. 
Right. And so, and just, so just to kind of give you an example, so like your blood, what was it? 275 to 295. 295. You remember that? Good. Okay. Scratch is 160. Has an osmolality Mm. of 160. Okay. Okay. And they said like, like on Scratch's website, they said, so they have a 4% carbohydrate solution. And they said, and this is probably Alan Lim. He said 4% solution is the highest concentration of carbohydrate that we can have in, a, in our drink while still optimizing water or fluid transport across the small intestine. Interesting. So having more wouldn't help you basically. Having right? more isn't better. And, and so many people want to just make their their drink that they're drinking like this high octane as much sugar as you can get in there yeah but really it it has just a a detrimental effect really because it's not just unhelpful it's actively well it's doing a couple things one you're it's slowing your gastric emptying so you're just having this fluid sloshing around in your gut which if you're sensitive to vomiting this could that would be where it comes from and and that can cause gut distress if you've got that sloshing around in your gut and and also can can cause dehydration like we or doesn't hydrate you as well like we talked about in the hydration episode right you know um because it's drunk well it, it basically is lowering your blood plasma volume because your blood plasma is the water from that's going into the solution to dilute it to balance it right so um so yeah, so scratch is 160. Now it's interesting. I've got here some different osmolalities of different drinks. Okay. And it's kind of, yeah. So you remember blood's 275, 275 295. Scratch was 160. Scratch right. one. Yeah. Milk, huge range on milk, but milk's about 300. What? Really? Yeah. Okay. okay. All right. Um, what do you think Coke is? Oh, ooh, it's got to be like 500, right? Six, it's That's gotta a be, good guess, actually. It's got to be way more, right? Yeah, 650. Whoa. Wow, okay. Yeah, so Coke wouldn't be a great thing to drink during ideal. a race. Like, right. After it's great. Yeah. You know. And um, let me point out that this isn't as big of a deal like outside of racing as it is inside because it eventually just all kind of blends together and eventually hydrates you. One just hydrates you quicker. Right. And in okay. a race, that's what you need. Yeah. Okay. Orange juice. What do you think orange juice? Close to Coke. I'm going to say, what was Coke again? 600? 650. I'm going to say 500? 580. Ooh, okay. You know, all right. There's a big range on all of these, but Gatorade. Yeah. Same as orange juice. Five, um, 550. It ranges but between about 300 and 340. Oh, okay. You know, it's just still about twice what Scratch is. Right. Because squ- Scratch is really... Um, like hypotonic where right you know um gatorade's more kind of isotonic and some of these are hypertonic like way more concentrated right 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 uh grape juice 580 1170 no oh my gosh really no way and i got looking at a bunch of different sport drinks and scratch is the only one that like really advertises theirs right like scratch is kind of proud of theirs i think because they've actually put some thought into because they put yeah there's like we're not sponsored by scratch no. by the way this is all very editorial like we we have good things to say about scratch um but but some i, I looked at some different like sports drinks and so forth some of them are really really high like 700 and Whoa. 640 is common and so you know, so yeah, they're going to provide a lot of carbohydrates. And like on a training rider, like an all-day Maybird Epic, that's probably fine. Well, I, I think of it more like you could use those, 
but you would have to do use have water as well. Interesting. Yeah, okay. you would have to chase it with water anyway. I think so. Might as well just have a solution that's that's least isotonic. You know. So speaking roughly, could a solution be like instead of a scoop of scratch, do half a scoop of Gatorade? Yeah. That would I, th- do I think so. I mean, I, think these I don't are know like, if the math works out, but that's the principle, right? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure if these are mixes, they'd be mixed. You, you can control right. that, you know, cause, because right, right, water right. zero, basically. You know, right, and, yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I thought that was, that was... What do you think a cis gel is? Oh, I'm going to say lower than you'd think. 350. A cis gel is 270. 270, oh, okay. And that's the science behind them. They've, they've made them isotonic, so they're exactly the same osmolality as your blood okay you know um scratch is actually less because they they feel that that helps it absorb in through your your small intestine quicker okay that makes um, sense yeah so i i thought that was you know that was that was all kind of interesting um you know scratch and and like stacy sims and alan Lim, they all recommend like and i've recommended this myself too because it works for me you know that you get your hydration from your bottle and that your your carbohydrates should come in a more solid form because if you eat food, it's not a solution. So it doesn't really draw water the right. same way a solution would. Right. Um, so they say that it's better to get your, your carbohydrates in, in a food form rather than like a gel or a, a drink mix. Right, right, right. But for some people drinking it's probably easier if you have a hard time if if that's all you can do then yeah it's something yeah okay but if you are drinking you do need to pay attention to like like a highly concentrated drink could have more gut problem more gut issues so if you are using like drinking your fuel I would have a bottle of water handy too. Right. To help with hydration. And this is why I like, again, this is editorial. Nobody sponsors us in the bike world. We want to keep it that way. Not that that's like something we have to worry about yet. But like, I know Gatorade's cheaper than Scratch and it doesn't have to be Scratch, but like something that is designed with this specific use case in mind, basically. Right. Like there is a reason for it. You know, it's not just one of these elitist dumb cyclist things. Like there's a reason that Scratch is better for cycling. Yeah. And like I said, I'm not, I'm not dogging the ones that are really constant, like have, cause it's not just the carbohydrates. It's also the electrolytes that it has in it. Right. Scratch pointed out too. They don't have a whole lot of coloring or a lot of additives. Cause that all adds to. I've noticed that like you put scratch in your bottle, you can't really tell. And all the powders are kind of white. Yeah. You know, they're like Gatorade obviously is like, you know, if it's green, it's gotta be green, you know, like scratches. Yeah. Cause yeah. all that adds to the concentration of the solution. Interesting. You know, so they try to keep as many, extra ingredients whatever's out. in there has there's like a reason for it right you know here's kind of like a sidebar about nutrition for me this is kind mm. of unrelated i personally don't like a one one bottle that's going to do everything for me i don't want right. like one bottle that's going to be all my fuel all my caffeine yeah. all my sodium right i actually like to have like almost a nutrition toolbox where i've got like my something I use to hydrate myself. I've got some food for like my my carbohydrates. Your salt tablets. I've got my salt tablet. I've got my caffeine separate because right. you can kind of, you know, like on a hot sunny day, you're gonna need a lot of the salt tablets. On a cold winter day with no sun, you're not gonna need any salt tablets. Um, you know, if it's like a or an evening race, I'm not gonna want caffeine. You know, if you know, so you can kind of customize it. It's more like a little tool, nutrition toolbox that you're right. carrying along. I think. You know, that's a little sidebar. Your nutrition toolbox. <laughs> Sorry, okay. <Carry> on. <laughs> so, but 
yeah, so so the concentration of what you're eating and the amount of fluids that you have is is huge. Um, and and the thing with gastric emptying is it's actually something that can it is trainable. Really? Okay. Yeah, it is something that can be trained. If this is like a weakness of yours, it's something that you can improve upon. Like there's there's people that are professional eaters, you know. Yeah. I should where do I sign up? <laughs> um Another thing that's super important about like we've just been talking about is if you're dehydrated, it greatly inhibits your gastric emptying. Okay. So hydration is key. And that's why throwing up's not good because, it, you know, it'll dehydrate you and so forth. You know? Right. So um, it, it's kind of making the problem don't, a little bit don't worse. Don't throw up people. You <laughs> might be tempted to, but don't. So, so yeah. So gastric emptying, it can be trained. Um so here's some uh, here's just some tips for those that do have that are dealing with kind of race specific gut issues. Here's some kind of actionable things that you can do um, because fueling for race is super important. Um, I'm just going to go through these kind of quick. It's a list, so you might want to write them down if this is something you struggle with. First one is manage anxiety. Yep, big topic. Lots of different ways to do it. That's the first one. Work on that. Work on that. Okay. So the second one is, is two to three days before your race. Um, this is going to sound like weird advice, but you, you need to really focus on eating simple carbs, av- avoid foods with a lot of fiber, a lot of fat and a lot of protein. Hmm. Usually, <laughs> yeah, that's not good advice for your normal everyday life. But right. if you're dealing with, with gut issues from, from, Racing. Hit the pasta and the white rice is what you're saying. Yeah. Right. Process simple carbs. Yeah. Really focus on those. Avoid it's the fi- only time you'll ever get that nutrition. Usually it's like the opposite. Oh, yeah. Right? I'm basically telling you to avoid fruit. Yep. To avoid vegetables. Yep. To avoid meat. Go eat some grandma sycamore's white bread. Yeah. Kind of. Some rice. Um, Two days before a race. Of bananas, course. probably yeah. okay. Potatoes. But yeah, super simple carbs. Mm-hmm. Two to three days before your race. Okay. Okay. All right. Um, yeah, these, you know, like like fibers and meats, they, they are going to stay in your stomach and they're not going to empty very quick. They're going right. to, so. Right. Um, so always two to three hours before the event, and this is kind of, this is advice we've given just on regular fueling, is two to three hours before the event, you don't eat anything. Okay. You eat your main meal two to three hours before, during that window, and usually I give that advice because of, you know, you don't want a blood sugar drop when your insulin and GLUT4 transporters kick in at the same time. That's huge. right. But also people with gut issues, that's kind of, the, you know, that's a good window not to eat to help with gut issues. So eat okay. two to three hours before. Right. And that meal obviously is very high, simple carbs. Yep. Okay. Um, yeah. You don't need eggs. Don't need. Yep. Not going to help you. Okay. Um, the next thing is just stay stay hydrated. Hydration helps greatly with gut emptying, um, with gastric emptying. So that's the next one. Um, the fifth one, this is kind of an interesting one. I, I learned that there's a huge correlation between using ibuprofen and vomiting during events. Like it causes it? Like there's a huge correlation. Like when people take ibuprofen, they're more likely to puke? Yeah. So yeah. So you might. Really? Yeah. You know, maybe try to avoid ibuprofen. Okay. If if this is a problem and maybe that might be part of your problem. So. Okay. That's surprising. Okay. There we go. Um, but 
the most important one is is training and testing. So there's so many people like like we said, this is something that's absolutely trainable. And like I need to work on my three minute power or my threshold or something. I need to go out there and I need to train it over and over. This is something that, that some of you might have to actually like very consciously intentionally, intentionally like, uh, train. Um, I would suggest like, I think there's so many people that the only time they ever eat, they ever have a cyst or ever drink scratch is at an actual race. Just not a good idea. Never a good idea. Um, like you'd never just use a different bike only on race days. Like that sounds crazy, but that's essentially what some people do with nutrition, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so what I would recommend is, you know, first of all, experiment, you know, find things that you like, find things that you tolerate and, you know, and kind of narrow it down to find out what works best for you. And then, you know, I would, I would start with maybe like on, you know, a hard workout, practice your race nutrition on a hard interval workout that you've got coming up, you know, practice, like try a few days before limiting your fiber and your, you know, your protein and your fat a few days before eating two to three hours before this hard workout, you know, right before the hard workout, you, you try a cyst or you try your shot blocks or whatever your stomach tolerates the best and just really practice your race nutrition on this hard workout, you know, cause you're not going to have the anxiety at this point, you know, it's, or at least you shouldn't, you know, it's, it won't be as much. So really just practice it at these hard workouts, find out what works. And then whatever you find out what works, repeat that in the race. You know, um, it's, you know, it's like you might, I would even suggest for some of you maybe signing up for, a race and your only goal for that race, like don't even worry about like you say, like yep. I give myself permission to come in last place this race. Yep. Who cares? Who cares? Um, Pick a midweek. Yeah. But the, the focus of this race is to be able to fuel myself and not get sick and not throw up, you know, kind of test out what you've been doing in your practices and so forth. Right. Makes um, no sense. Yeah. I mean, fueling is one of the easiest ways to get drastically faster. And if this is something you're dealing with, you're leaving lots of lots of your potential on the table. So it's it's and it's going to take some time and it has to be intentional, like you said. This isn't just going to resolve itself. Yeah. Like a lot of things in cycling kind of resolve themselves as you do more. Like this you've got to figure it out, right? Yeah. And you know, we're happy to help. I hope this helps and you know, um, let's hopefully have fewer kids puking at races. You know? There we go. As we wrap up, I realize somebody requested a quiz question that I didn't do. So I'd like to close out on a quiz question for you, Dan. Okay, let's do it. How many miles has Keegan Swenson ridden this year? This year? As of March 26th. As of March 26th. Okay. Um, I'm going to say 3,000. 4,000. Oh my goodness. 503.4. Already, and it's only March. And it's March. Granted, I mean, you just did the Cape Epic, and he's been down in Arizona a lot, but it's only March. Wow. 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 Should we finish on a wow? Wait, we need a magic word, don't we? 
the magic word is wow. Okay, that's a good one. Like All Owen right. Wilson. Wow. In unison, Dan. Three, two, one. Wow. wow. <laughs> <laughs>